And yeah, I love that happy holiday cheer music going on behind our greeting. Joyful experience indeed to greet one another. Our scripture this morning is from the gospel according to John chapter 1, beginning with verse 6. Uh, we'll read 6 through 8, and then we'll jump ahead um, a few verses uh, to 19 through 23. Hear the word of the Lord. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Just as the prophet Isaiah said. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So how many folks out there are fans of Christmas movies? Raise your hands. Oh, okay, lots of us. Now, some of us may be thinking, hey, preacher, we you need to be more specific, all right? There's lots of kinds of Christmas movies, and there are. There are the classics, right? Miracle on 34th Street, and It's a Wonderful Life, and the old version of Dickens' Christmas Carol. There are also children's Christmas movies, which always feel warm and nostalgic for us. Uh, Charlie Brown's Christmas, right? The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, uh, Mickey Mouse's version of The Christmas Carol, or that claymation Rudolph movie that's actually kind of freaky, right, with the way the claymation moves. There are also Christmas comedies, right? W ones that are favorites of many of us. Uh, Chevy Chase's uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Uh, uh, there's A Christmas Story, there's Bill Murray's Scrooged, and there's even Home Alone. There are touching family stories. There are overtly religious movies that try and, in, in a realistic way, tell about the birth of Christ. There's even a Marvel Comics Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas movie released just last year. Oh, there are plenty to choose from. And so if you don't know what kind of Christmas movie I'm talking about, it may be hard to answer whether or not you love Christmas movies. And of course, there is one style of Christmas movie I did not mention yet. The Hallmark Christmas movie. <laughs> Though now Netflix and other providers have their own version of these, right? Do we have anyone here who loves 
Hallmark Christmas movies. Raise your hand. It's good. Confession is good for the soul. It's okay. Yes. Now, you know a Hallmark or Netflix Christmas movie because it's guaranteed to have certain beats in it, right? There's, it's almost always a romance movie. And usually one character is from a very big city and another character is from a small town, right? And usually the big city individual has to, for some reason or another, travel to the small town and their big city ways are confronted by the kindness and the slower life of the quaint small town. And one of the two people involved in the romance is usually a widow or a widower at a very young age and caring for a child or two on their own. And the kid and all the rest of the family members and frankly, all the rest of the town, they all see that these two would be a perfect match. But, but the two people, the two main characters, they don't see it. They fight it. Or it's complicated. Or they have to return to the big city. Whatever it is. And then there's always one character who's wandering around town, right? Making brief appearances with a little twinkle in his eye, usually an older man. And he always has a short, wise, thoughtful piece of advice. And you're pretty sure he's Santa Claus, but they don't say it in the movie, right? And of course, there is always, always, always a happily ever after. And these are, by all accounts, the worst movies ever made, <laughs> right? Even the folks who love these movies know that they're bad movies. My wife, Taylor, is obsessed with these movies. She watches every one that comes out, but she knows they're bad. She knows and doesn't care. She's in on all of them. We know they're not good films, but they leave you feeling good. You, you feel good after watching them, and in the end, isn't that at least one part of what Christmas is all about? To feel warm, to feel happy, to feel that love is in the air, to just feel good. So maybe they are great Christmas movies after all. I mean, sure, they're poorly written, stilted dialogue, Mediocre acting by actors that tended to be famous about 20 to 30 years ago. And I swear there's somebody in Hollywood who has a checklist of things that have to be in the movie. I mean, the film's great, but we need a lovable but quirky neighbor, and we also need it to snow at just the right romantic moment. I mean, there must be a checklist because they all have these elements in them, but you leave them feeling good, feeling magical, loving and cozy and hopeful. So maybe they're great Christmas movies. Because all these Christmas movies from Miracle on 34th Street all the way down to the Marvel one last year, they all deliver on that most important thing. They bring cheer. They bring cheer to the folks who watch them, whether it's laughter or sappy romance or good old-fashioned warm and fuzzies. They deliver on the most important thing for a Christmas movie. They bring cheer. Our scripture from John this morning has 
the Apostle John's introduction of John the Baptist. So we have two Johns going on here. The writer of John was the disciple John, also known as the beloved disciple, and he's the one writing, and he is not John the Baptist. That's another John. That John is the cousin of Jesus. And so the Apostle John is telling us this story about John the Baptist. And he says right from the start, this was a man sent by God. I mean, could there be any better introduction if you're a faithful person? You are sent from God. So the author is letting us know right away that this man is special. This man is on a mission from God. This man is divinely appointed. Now, in my class right after this service and tomorrow night, uh, right after the two services this morning and tomorrow night, we're going to be looking at the Christmas story as told by Matthew and Luke. And the Lucan version is the one that we all know, the one that we're most familiar with. It's the one that we read on Christmas Eve, the one with all the details that we know and love. And Matthew does add some key pieces to the story. But the Apostle John, he doesn't have any of that. John launches into his gospel speaking of deep theological mysteries. He foregoes the quaint little quiet town of Bethlehem. He leaves out the lovable and admirable characters of Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, the magi. And we want to grab him and we want to say, John, don't you know how to tell a Christmas story? Don't you know that there's a checklist? You have to have the, the lovable and revered characters. You, you need to have a star. You need to have angels and a cute, cuddly baby Jesus surrounded by barn animals. And, and John, you need wise men, you need shepherds, you need straw and a manger. Don't you want us to get the warm and fuzzies, John? And John wants no part of it. John's not interested. And I think John might look at us and say, don't you see, I don't need any of that stuff. Don't you see, I have the thing that matters. I do have the one thing that matters. It's right there in verse 8. He says, John the Baptist was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. He came to testify to the light. See, the Apostle John, he writes the Christmas movie that would never get made by any Hollywood studio. The Christmas story that's missing everything that we know and love about the Christmas story. He misses the whole checklist. But he does get one thing that really matters. He came to testify to the light. People of God, I want you to hear this. The meaning of Christmas, the point of Christmas, the message of Christmas, the meaning of Christmas, the heart of Christmas is that God loved us enough to send his son to take on flesh 
to usher in the kingdom of God, putting in motion this incarnation and the crucifixion and the resurrection of his son Jesus Christ that would reconcile all things to himself, that would rescue us all. The meaning of Christmas is that God, God gave us a gift. But the assignment of Christmas is different. Did you know there was a Christmas assignment? Oh, in our commercialized season, uh, in our commercialized world where the Christmas season has become so much about buying, selling, all that, we're quick to say, but don't forget the meaning of Christmas. Don't forget what Christmas is all about. Don't forget the birth of Jesus, and we're right to do so. It's good for the church to speak that message, but we forget when we're wrapped up with the meaning of Christmas that there's also an assignment with Christmas. Two, in fact, as far as I can tell. First, we've been given a gift, so we need to go be a gift to someone else. We've been given a gift, so we have to go be a gift. It's like our sermon two weeks ago. Why so blessed? To be a blessing. We have this gift, and we now need to meet our world with grace and with charity and with love as a living, breathing gift. It's why we handed in estimated giving cards two weeks ago. It's why we have so many of us putting together this Wonder of Christmas event this coming Friday night. It's why we are gearing up to give our Christmas Eve offering to a school in Southwest Philly that provides good, safe Christian education for young people because we got a gift and now we need to go be a gift. So that's assignment one, but assignment two brings us back to the text. It's what the Apostle John wants us to take away as our assignment. It's why he skips all the lovable characters, all the warm and fuzzy moments. It's why he tears up that checklist and does his own thing. He wants to give us an assignment. And so he mentions the only guy that needs mentioning for this assignment, and it's John the Baptist. And the Christmas assignment is just this. Go tell the story. Go testify to the light. Go tell the story. John the Baptist was sent by God. He wasn't the light, but he came to testify to the light. You and I, we are not the light. But we darn sure better testify to the light. We better tell this story of the true light that is coming into the world. We better speak. We better point. We better show. We better live that story. In everything we do, we better testify to the light. And those religious leaders who know that John the Baptist is causing a stir, when they're sent down from Jerusalem to find out who is this John guy, Who's this guy getting the people worked up? Is, is he claiming to be the Messiah? Is he claiming to be some prophet? Is he claiming to be the second coming of Elijah? What is this guy? And John says, no, no, no. I, I'm not any of that. They say, then who are you? 
Who do you say that you are? Give us something to take back to our higher-ups in Jerusalem. Who are you? And quoting the prophet Isaiah, the baptizer says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. This Advent season, as we prepare our homes, as we prepare our sanctuaries, our churches, our workplaces, our families, our gift list, even our movie queue, as we prepare ourselves for Christmas, let's join John the Baptist in the one thing that matters. Let's join him in preparing our hearts, our lives, and especially preparing our world for the coming of the Lord, for the light that is coming into the world. Because the life and witness of John the Baptist shows us that we are here as the church to testify to the light. We are here to prepare the way. We are here to make sure that the voice crying out in the wilderness, that voice, we're here to make sure that it's not the voice of one. We're here to make sure the story is told, that the gift is received and given again, and that that voice testifying, that voice telling the story, that voice speaking about and showing the light, that that voice is not the voice of one. We're here to make sure that it's the voice of many. Amen. And so now we come to our table. And every time we come to this table, we tell the story. Do you ever think about that? We tell a story when we come to this table story of Emmanuel, God with us, a God who came down. We tell the story of his life and his ministry of healing and peace and justice and showing us the way of the Lord. We tell the story of his cross and his resurrection that rescued us all from sin and death. We tell the story that he will come again. We tell the story of a life of discipleship, worship, and mission that he calls us to. And as Christians all over the world gather this morning around this table and partake in this same meal, one bread, one cup, one table, one Lord, as we gather around, we tell his story again. We testify to the light we prepare the way of the Lord together by the simple act of just taking and eating, taking and drinking. And as we do, we ensure that the voice crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord, that that voice is not the voice of one. As we gather around table together, all over this world, 
in every language, in every place, we ensure that it is indeed a voice of many. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for the gift of your Son, the Christ, and we thank you for this table. We pray that you would now, by the power of your Spirit, move over these common elements of bread and drink, that they may, by your power, become vessels of mercy, nourishing us on our spiritual path. We give you great thanks. We ask you to be present with us as we remember your son and as we tell his story again. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.